We're going to be in Exodus 33, continuing on through our series within the series, uh, People on the Move. Uh, my heart is full. I'm excited already. So I'm going to try and ease into it. Uh, but we've really just been hearing about the faithfulness of God over the last few weeks in this local context. And again, to see it in a global context has been just breathtaking and refreshing. And as we continue to move forward, one of the things that I believe we're going to hear this morning and that we want to keep at the forefront of our mind is that while we are, yes, a people on the move, uh, we are moving because God first moved in our lives and the Lord pursued us. And now the call and the cry of our heart is to continue to pursue the Lord. I'm going to read through chapter 33, and then we're going to take the next few minutes that we have left to see what the Spirit is speaking to the church. Exodus 33, starting at verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent... All the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. And you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. 
And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you, where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God is good all by itself. As we heard last week, Brother Sean was preaching on the dangers of idolatry, and we saw the egregious error of the people of Israel. They made false gods for themselves, and they made an altar, and they worshiped. They rose and played. They offered sacrifices to these false gods. And because of that, the Lord said that he would consume them. But Moses, the scriptures tell us in verse 11, implored the Lord, pleaded with the Lord not to consume the people. And the Lord, verse 14 in chapter 32, lets us know, relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. But the Lord could not go with his people because of their sin or else he would consume them. So now the Lord was sending his people out from his presence. And that's what we see here in chapter 33 following the sinful acts of the people of Israel. The Lord tells Moses to depart. Go from the mountain of God into the promised land. And the Lord lets his people know that he's going to send a guide before them. He's going to send an angel. And he lets them know that he's going to give them this good land, this land flowing with milk and honey. But the Lord also makes a third promise to his people. He lets them know that he will not go with them because of their sin. Now, one might think, well, two of the three promises are excellent. You promise to send us a guide and you promise to give us a good land. All right, I could live with that. We're going to still have a place that's flowing with milk and honey. But that's not how the people of Israel responded. Verse 4 of chapter 33 says that they heard this disastrous word. They heard the disastrous word. Well, what was the disastrous word that they heard? That God would not go with them. So though they had a guide and though they were promised a good land, they were also told that they were going to be a godless people. They were going to have to live life on their own. And that was enough for them to say, hey, good land, I mean, that sounds great, but without God, that good land is no good. And so they have the right response to hearing this disastrous word. The word lets us know that they cried out, they mourned. 
This word could also be translated lamented. It gives a picture of what we would hear in the Old Testament, like sackcloths and ashes, a wailing, a mourning of loss, significant loss. So they're mourning, they're mourning the loss that they have and knowing that God says he will not go with them to this land that he promised them. And then they follow that up with a right response. They strip themselves of the ornaments that were on them. And the reason why they did this, we saw in verse 8, the Lord told them to strip themselves of the ornaments. So they mourned because God said, I'm not going to go with you. And then they responded rightly by obeying what God told them to do. And this is a right response when we find ourselves in a bad position because of an error that we made a sinful act. The people recognize what God says is wrong is wrong. And instead of sweeping that under the table and just acting like it wasn't a big deal, no, big deal. God will not go with us. We need to have a right response. They were contrite in spirit, the scripture would say. They were brokenhearted, and you could see that in their response. Their mourning, their lamenting, and their willingness to strip themselves of the ornaments because the Lord told them to do so. But they weren't the only ones that cried out to the Lord. The word lets us know that Moses also cried out to God. And as is done in ancient Near East writings, we see first and foremost the place that Moses went to plead with God. The scripture Moses writes out about this place that he would go, he calls it the tent of meeting. Now, just for our understanding, this is not the tent of meeting that we spent about a month or more unpacking. That's soon to be built, and we'll get there in a few weeks. This was another tent, a smaller tent that Moses put up. It was the personal tent. But it was called the tent of meeting because it was the place that Moses would go to meet with God. And that's where we see here down in verse 9, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud, which was representing the presence of Jesus Christ, would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent. And the Lord would speak to Moses. And the Lord would speak to Moses like I'm speaking to you now, like a man speaks to a friend. And so this is the place that Moses would go to plead with the Lord. And while, yes, in this case, it's a physical place, the tent of meeting, what made this place a priority for Moses was that this was the place that he would go and experience the presence of God. So the place truly that Moses was going was into the presence of God to plead to God on behalf of the people. And so Moses goes to the tent of meeting to cry out to his creator on behalf of the people, but also on behalf of himself. And we get down to verse 12 of chapter 33, and we get to see what Moses' plea is before the Lord. The Lord, Moses communicates to the Lord here in verse 12. See you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Now, remembering a few verses earlier, the Lord said, I'm going to send an angel with you. But in the context of the passage, and we'll get down to the verse where Moses communicates this, Moses is not communicating, hey, I don't know the name of the angel. No, what Moses is actually communicating is that you are not going to go with me. So it's not just, hey, you didn't let me know who's going to go on this journey. He's like, no, you said you're not going to go with me. And so Moses says, hey, Lord, if I have found favor with you, and please teach me your ways that I might find favor in your sight. And Moses lets us know in layman terms what he's asking for. He's saying, Lord, I need you to go with me. 
And so the Lord tells Moses, my presence, verse 14, will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses just wants to make sure that we're on the same page here, God, because just a moment ago, you said you weren't going to go. I'm crying out to you and you said you are going to go. For clarification, when you say go, I want to make sure we're talking about the same kind of go. And so Moses here in verse 15, clarifying. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Now, from here where Moses is, he's in the wilderness with two million plus people. And Moses is communicating to God just for clarity. Like, if your presence doesn't go, like I know you said an angel would go, but I mean you. If your presence doesn't go with us to the land that's flowing with milk and honey, leave me in the wilderness, a dry place where there was not a whole lot of water and there definitely wasn't milk and honey. It wasn't a land flowing prosperous for an agricultural community. But Moses says, I would rather stay in the wilderness with you than to go to the promised land without you. So I just want to be very clear. If your presence doesn't go with us, then I don't want to go. And there's a reason why. And Moses communicates that reason. Verse 16, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So what Moses is letting us know is that when he communicates favor, his idea of favor is not a hookup. It's not a quick fix. It's not a possession. It's not a thing. His idea of favor is the presence of God. How will it be known that we have found favor in your sight if you don't go with us? Because it's your presence. It's you that makes us distinct, that makes us different from all the nations. So without God, Moses understands that they're just a people that have really no purpose. God is the one who makes the difference in the lives of his people. And so Moses needs the presence. He says, your people need your presence. Without your presence... Nothing else matters. Moses has learned a very valuable lesson. And the people of Israel have learned a very valuable lesson. That the presence of God is greater than any possession. I'd rather have the presence, the promiser, than the promise. If I have to make a choice, if it's an either or kind of an opportunity, give me Jesus, keep your goods. That's what Moses and the people understand. It's a disastrous word. What's the disastrous word? You have an angel and you're guaranteed all of the ites are going to be moved out of the land. Like, what's the problem? I need God. I need him. So keep the good land. Give me God. Without God, the land is no good. And when we think about that, I know sometimes we even talk about heaven and how great heaven is going to be, right? Streets paved with gold, a, a gate that's made of pearl. Like, what kind of clam did you find a pearl that, so, that big? But that's, that's, you know, we talk about all of that. But if God's not in heaven, then heaven's no good, right? That's what makes hell such a bad place is that God's not there. That's eternal separation from God. What makes heaven so good is that we will be in the presence of God continually. And that's what Moses communicates. 
here in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. The Lord says, I'm going to go with you, Moses. Now, again, remember, the Lord speaks to Moses as a man speaks to a friend. So Moses has a very personal and intimate relationship with God, like very few others have ever had before him. But Moses is now saying, not only do I want to hear your voice, I want to see you. Show me your glory. And by glory, Moses is communicating, show me you. I want to see your presence, the presence that's going to go with us. Show me your presence. And God unpacks it for Moses and let him know, hey, you're going to see my backside. You can't see my face because if you see my face, you'll die. When we get to chapter 34 next Sunday, it'll kind of unpack a little bit more of what that encounter was. But just to tease out, the Lord is going to show Moses something really beautiful. And Moses' countenance is even going to be changed by the presence of God. But Moses is crying out, Lord, I want to see you. I hear you. I want to see you. I want to know you. Very personal and intimate. And God grants Moses that request. And so Moses understands with all that he's seen and all that he's experienced, the 10 plagues. He's been in Midian for over 40 years, running. I mean, hard life. He's now in the wilderness Moses has an opportunity to go to the promised land and just live on easy street. And he says, Lord, I need you. And the people of Israel, Lord, I need you. This was a revelation that changes Moses' life. It would change the nation of Israel's life. And it changes the lives of the people of God. And this revelation was not merely reserved for Moses and the people of Israel in the Old Testament. This revelation was passed on from Jesus to his disciples, and the disciples would pass this revelation on to other believers that would follow in their footsteps. They would communicate this very same thing, the presence of God over possessions. God is greater. God's presence is priceless. Everything else in comparison, worthless. And that's what Paul an apostle, a follower of Jesus Christ, would communicate for himself personally. And because he knows this groundbreaking truth to be life-changing, he also would compel other followers to take this same kind of thinking. So to the church in Philippi, Paul lets them know this reality, this revelation that he had come into contact with, the same revelation that Moses and the nation of Israel experienced. The presence over possessions. And Moses, here, uh, Paul, if you read through uh, the beginning part of chapter 3 in uh, Philippians, you'll see his background and his history. He was on the who's who's list. He was the who. Right? And he says, with all of that, this is how I view it now. Because I've learned the presence of God is priceless. Verse 7, chapter 3, Philippians. But whatever gain I had... I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things 
and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. Paul is saying, because Christ has apprehended me, that has changed the way that I live and has changed the way that I see the things of this world. Everything that I have, I count it as lost. Not some things, not a few things. Not the things that I was going to give away anyway. You know how you do with uh, your, your closet. You give away the things that you don't wear. No, Paul was like the good things, all the things. I'm giving it all away. And not only do I count it as lost, I count it as worthless. But rubbish means. Dung is another translation for this word. So he counts it as worthless. That he might gain the surpassing worth. In other words, the presence of God surpassing worth, all the things that he had, all of them combined, were worthless compared to the surpassing worth of Christ Jesus, his Lord. And he said, so now because I have been apprehended by Christ and I am now Christ, I am pressing toward the mark for the upward call of God in Christ. And when Paul says, I have not yet apprehended, he's talking about the resurrection from the dead. And when he says, I'm pressing toward the mark, he says, I'm going to continually pursue the presence of God so that when Jesus comes or calls me home, I might be with him for eternity, that I might experience the resurrection from the dead. In other words, there's nothing else in this life that's worth my pursuit. There's not a priority one and then a priority two. There's not a priority one A or a one B. I have a singular focus, one priority, that's the presence of God. That that's the mark that I'm going for. Now, I'm not a rifleman. I was in the Marine Corps for a few years, and you could tell that I grew up in the city because they put a rifle in my hands like, what's this? And I showed that by not really hitting the target. I saw the mark. I just couldn't hit the mark. <clears throat> Did enough to pass. But what I learned in trying to hit the mark, at least, is that you have to be focused. There's a sight that you have on the tip of the rifle, and you have to look down the line, and you have to see through the sight, and you have to line the sight up with the tip of the mark that you want to hit. And then you have to take a deep breath, exhale. And on that exhale, then you pull the trigger, and you look to see that it hit the mark. And if it didn't hit the mark, then you got to make some adjustments because you have one goal. That's to hit the mark. There's a lot of other things going on around you. But you got to focus in on the one thing that you're trying to hit. And this is the mark that Paul says, I'm focused. There's nothing else that I'm pursuing. I'm pressing toward this one mark, 
The prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm looking to obtain. Because his presence is greater than any possession in this life. And Paul doesn't just stop there. He says that that's not just good for him. That's not just good for Moses. That's not just good for the nation of Israel. He says for all of the family of Christ, do the same thing. Verse 17, Philippians chapter 3, brothers. That could be translated as gender neutral brothers and sisters. We might say something like family. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And again, this is in that same context of chapter 3. What are you telling us to imitate, Paul? Leave everything else behind. This one thing I do, forgetting all that's behind me and straining to what's ahead of me. What's ahead of you? The resurrection from the dead. I press toward the mark. Brothers, sisters, imitate me. Forget everything that's behind you and press forward. Pursue the presence of God and follow the example of those who do the same thing, who would be willing to count everything in this life, all the possessions as dung, waste, rubbish, and consider the only priority to be the presence of God and to pursue it with everything you have. Paul goes on to communicate for many, verse 18, of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God, lowercase g, is their belly, their own self-satisfaction, and their glory, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. There are those who Paul says breaks his heart and brings him to tears. So these aren't strangers, this is family that have decided to pursue earthly things. Their minds set on possessions, trying to satisfy their flesh, their belly. Paul said, don't follow that example. They're looking for the things that matter to them, the earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. So we then, Paul is saying, should be looking to the godly things and pursuing that so that we can obtain this resurrection, knowing not that it might be. This is a guarantee. Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Therefore, knowing that this is true, what do you do? Stand firm, thus in the Lord. Continue to pursue the presence of God. Don't be distracted by the things of this world. Learn the lesson, grab the revelation that Moses grabbed a hold of, that the children of Israel grabbed a hold of. I need the presence of God. Lord, if you don't go with me, leave me right here. Leave me at the mountain of God. 
then remember that right now Moses is standing on Mount Horeb and there's this devouring fire still. It hasn't dissipated, which represents the presence of God. So Moses saying, leave me here on the mountain of God in the presence of God, then sending me to the promised land without you. I need you. Paul is telling us the same thing. God is our priority. His presence is our singular focus, our only pursuit. That's what we need. But like the children of Israel, if we're not careful, we get distracted. And then Paul says that there are those who have gotten distracted. And with tears in his eyes as this letter is being penned, he's thinking of those who started to pursue earthly things. And that's exactly what Israel made the mistake of doing. And their mistake came because they thought Moses was taking too long. He was spending about a month and a half now in the presence of God. And they said, man, we don't know what happened with this Moses guy, and we want something right now. So they got impatient. And then after all that they experienced, we we need to really grab a hold of this because rather than mocking Israel, we probably can really identify with them. After all they experienced, the ten plagues, manna from heaven, quail appearing out of nowhere, water coming out of a rock, all of these miracles, a month and a half, they, they could still see the devouring fire. They heard the voice of God themselves when he spoke the Ten Commandments to them. And now it only took 40 days. Man, we need a God that will be with us because we don't feel like Moses is coming back. So we're just going to take some gold, the gold, mind you, that God gave us, and make a calf and worship that and pursue earthly things. And if we're not careful, do we not do the same thing? I mean, for us as believers, we've experienced the goodness of God in the land of the living, but then there's some things that can distract us. There's some possessions that we start to think that might be important to us. It's not that we're saying we're trying to replace God necessarily, but we're just making it like a 1B you know, or kind of on par with God. <clears throat> because if I don't get this thing, whatever that possession is, I find myself starting to complain starting to be frustrated, aggravated, annoyed, bothered, ready to quit. Say, hold on, I know you didn't get that possession, but you still have the presence. Like God is still with you. No, yeah, God, I know, thank you, but, but I really felt like I needed this too. I'm, no, I'm, I'm still here. Yeah, no, and, I, and I'm glad that you are, and, and I want you to stay there. I just, I need these possessions as well, because if I get these possessions, then I know that I'm blessed and highly favored. Or we'll just add, just, just a little... Caveat to the relationship. And then what we don't realize is that that slight addition becomes a distraction. And then rather than pursuing the presence of God, we look up and then before we know it, we're going headlong for the earthly possessions. And we're not spending as much time pursuing God. You were no longer really uh, devout followers of Jesus Christ. Sunday service starts to feel like a drag. You know, if I don't have to make it, I probably, you know, I'm not going to go this week. I'll just catch it on, on the live stream or I'll replay it on Monday. I don't have time to read the scriptures on this morning. I, I got to hurry up and get to this project because this assignment's due and I need to make sure this is my focus. No, Lord, I'll, I'll spend some time with you later. I, I got I to nail this down first. No, no, I'm not, going, I'm not going to spend as much time. I, I got to spend 90 
120 hours in work, but if someone tells me to spend 30 minutes of quiet with the Lord, like, man, that's a whole lot of time. I got other things I have to do. You see how quickly we can be deceived? And please, I pray that, again, no shame, no guilt, but the reality that we don't always find ourselves pursuing the presence. And if we're not honest about the things that distract us, the next thing you know will sound like Aaron. I don't know where this calf came from. It just popped out of the fire, Aaron. I mean, come on, just, cut me, just give me a little bit of credit. You put gold in a fire and poof, out pops a calf that like you didn't shape it a little bit? Yeah, I don't know how it happened. It just, it just happened. Right? And that's what we start to sound like. Like, Lord, I don't know how I got here. I just, uh, I just started to, right, we started to pursue something else. We start to feel like God is not enough. He's a part of, but he's not the only. He's not my all in all. And Paul is saying, and Moses is saying, and the children of Israel, possessions, pointless without the presence of God. Jesus tells a parable of two people. One is a beggar who has sores on his body. And a dog is licking his wounds. The other is a rich ruler. They both pass away and go on to experience what we all will one day, judgment. The beggar that had the dog licking his wounds was in the bosom of Abraham. The rich ruler was separated from God in hell. In this parable, Jesus says the rich ruler is now begging for the beggar to give him just a drop of water. And then the rich ruler is begging for the beggar to go back and let his family know, hey, it's going to get real if you don't get right before you leave. And the Lord says, no, they all have their opportunity. Tell me, if you really believe God to be who he says he is, which would you rather be right now? Isn't that wild? I'd rather be a beggar with wounds that dogs are licking if I have the presence than I would be a rich ruler with all the possessions of this world but without the presence of God. What are you pursuing today? What are you going after? What has your heart and mind captivated that you would say, it's the surpassing worth. It's my one thing. It's my one mark, and I'm focused on it. No, I know that there's some things coming from the side. I don't got time for that. I'm focused on Jesus, and that's the one thing that I'm going after. Or is it the job, or is it the family, or is it the filling your blank? What is it that we're pursuing? Jesus says you can't pursue two things. Don't be mistaken. Multitasking, you won't read of it in Scripture. Singularly focused. Our brains aren't meant to process two things simultaneously. You're distracted. You're going to do one thing poorly, and you're going to do another thing really bad. One thing at a time. What's our one thing? Moses says, may it be the presence. Paul says, let it be the presence of God. And so I have to wrestle with that. And I pray that you, too, will wrestle with that. Because in our Western culture, there are a lot of possessions. There are a lot. And I'm not saying that the possessions are bad, but it's bad when the possessions possess you. 
right? When now you are chasing after that thing. And, and again, I'm just, just going to talk about Michael because I don't want anybody to get offended and think that I'm picking on you. But I've seen how I respond when the possessions start to become a little bit on the light end. Like if the air conditioning goes out, oh, not in Houston. Mm-mm. Don't let the AC go out. If the job starts to look like it's running thin, or I find myself unemployed, I've seen how I've responded. I've seen my heart. Say, like, I don't say, Lord, thank you for all that you are doing, though. No, it's like this is the one thing. And the, the question that can come out of my mouth and maybe it's come out of your mouth is, God, why? Why is this happening to me? Like, hold on, did anybody ask, Lord, why? Why did you let that happen to Jesus? He said, Lord, thank you. And so now it's like, Lord, don't, don't call me to suffer. Don't call me to go through. That was one of the things that I took away from my time in Wantakia. I didn't have to convince them that Jesus was greater. No. They said, I'm leaving it all behind. Give me Jesus. They saw it as a great gift, a relief from the life that they were suffering through. In our Western culture, oftentimes the conversation is trying to help people understand, well, no, it's that, I know that that could feel like a sacrifice, but trust me, God is so much more. It's like, yeah, but if I come to Jesus, then I'm going to have to give up. It's like, wait, Jesus, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and the one thing that I process is what I'm going to have to give up? No, but if I think about what God was willing to give up so that I could experience his love. It's like, oh, yeah, no, that's worthless. Is that how we process our possessions? Or is there something that we're holding on to that if the Lord asked you for it? Like, no, Lord, I'm not going to the bush. They don't have running water. That's, that's it. Lord, I'm not going to go and share the gospel with this person because then I won't be seen as popular. Listen, whatever you're willing to say no to God for, that thing is your God. And we need to strip that down. Right? So consider this 1B to last week's sermon. Right? Those idols have to come down off the altar. And we need to make God our singular focus, our only pursuit. I want to invite the praise team back up as we wrestle with this and as we prayerfully consider and please again make it personal what is it that has become so important what is it that has become a distraction in our life that we would look to God and say I need the possession that we would think that the promised land without the promiser is not such a bad thing. Whatever that is, I'm not saying that you need to quit your job. I'm not saying that you need to throw it in the garbage. You might. That's going to be between you and the Holy Spirit. But the one thing that I am certain of is that we need to put all things in their rightful place. And we need to consider everything else. When compared to the surpassing worth of the presence, worthless. And because we're all in this Western culture, <clears throat> I believe there's some things, 
This kind of message for me was just a a good wake-up call. It was a nice refresher, a reminder, because if I'm not careful, there are all kinds of distractions, and they come up continually. And so I'm grateful that God reminds us, hey, Mike, you're drifting. Oh, thank you. Hey, Michael, you're you're going after, oh, thank you. As opposed to waiting until I get off the cliff, it's like the Lord reminds us regularly, hey, don't pursue that. Come for me, I'm coming for you. Let's be in relationship. And so I pray that for you too, this is a reminder. And that we'll sift through in our minds and identify if we made the promise greater than the promiser. To the point that, God, you haven't come through yet. You're taking too long. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. No, God, even if it doesn't happen, you're my one priority, your presence, and I'm pursuing after you. So for a couple of minutes, you and Jesus, I want to invite you to have a quiet moment and ask the Holy Spirit to impress on your heart. What is that thing? Or what are those things that have become a distraction? Popularity, promotion, that house, whatever it is. And let's lay it down at the altar. And let's do like the children of Israel. Let's cry out, mourn, that we would make anything else a priority. And then have a right response and say, Lord, I'm setting my eyes back on you. You're the mark that I'm pursuing. And I'm going to press forward. And may we leave this place with one priority, the pursuit of his presence. I'll give us a couple of minutes and then I'll pray for us. And we'll continue in praise.